This is KGLP Gallup Public Radio 91.7 FM. Today we are talking about the decline of the Navajo language, a very special and unique language. We have today in the studio former Navajo Nation Vice President Rex Lee Jim and also Gallup McKinley County School Board member Kevin Mitchell. Let's start with introductions. Executive Director for Navajo Sovereignty Institute. Uliego e Shinanishnati Adohekwegi the Nepazad Beyatrigi Nahidol Nathan Nobin Ye Ahi Kredo Bandit Indole. Thank you. Yat eh, um, J. Kevin Mitchell and Shia, my discuse me in sling, Cloga Bushes Chin, um, Sinajini the Shache, um, Tropaha e Shanala. I reside in Tohatchee, New Mexico, and I am the Gallup-McKinley County District 1 school board member. Thank you, both. The decline of language in any society is not something new. It happens over time with any given group. The Navajo tribe is the dominant tribe in the United States, at least in number. Rex, what are we talking about when we say decline in language? How are we defining decline? And what has to happen for there to be an actual decline? Decline means going from here to there in sort of a high to low motion. Define decline as it relates to language, and is decline the appropriate word to use when it comes to the very special Navajo language, like I just heard both of you speak? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Decline is the misuse or n- not using the language is actually what it means. That the numbers of speakers begin to go down. Young people, elders, they're no longer talking to one another in Navajo. They speak to one another in English, whether they're going on a trip, family gatherings, or elsewhere. And so there are fewer speakers and fewer speakers every year, and there's a decline in language. Personally and professionally, for you, I mean, you are a Princeton University graduate, former Navajo Nation VP. That must be kind of a, a bad thing to really accept, meaning we have this great Navajo culture, and to see the language, which is part of the culture, obviously, in decline. And that must be something that's kind of difficult and, and, and hard to accept. Is that right? No, not for me. Simply because I'm fluent and literate in Navajo. I went to Route Point Community School. And most people around me speak Navajo fluently. I come from a traditional right. background. I'm a medicine man. and at wherever I go, right. Rock, Rock, Point, Rock Point, Arizona is where you're from. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so for me to say it's difficult, it implies that 
I have a problem with it. I don't, actually, really. But when I do go to other places, more urban areas like Winter Rock or Chinle, and I see younger people not speaking the language. And to many, in many ways, it's not their choice or it's not their decision. It's something that's just passed on down to them. It's not their fault. It's the parents' grandparents' fault in many ways. And so that's where my difficulty lies is with our own people who are fluent and literate in Navajos but who do not teach them the language to the, to the young people. That's, mm-hmm. that's the difficulty. Right. Not the decline itself in terms of the students not speaking because I think we can always change that. But it's the commitment from the fluent speakers that I have a difficult the older, time with. The older people, family members, and so forth. Yeah. Kevin, is there a decline? Have you noticed it? Does it bother you personally and professionally? And how do you define decline? I define decline as the number of Navajo-speaking um, people. And, you know, I can say that, you know, there is actually um, a big decline. You know, there has been studies that have been taking. Um, I know that there was the one that was done by um, Ancita Benali, which showed that um, in 1980, the percentage was 93% um, Navajos could speak the language. And then it went on 10 years later to 1990, to 1990, yeah, and then it went down to 84%. Um, and then now in 2000, it was 76%, and then 2010, um, it has gone down to 51%. Right. So that shows, to me, that shows decline, and that would be... Right. What is that attributed to? Or is it just a flat-out rejection? Meaning, I know Rex mentioned that it's a family thing. It's the older people not literally instructing and sharing and so forth. Is this a rejection by young people, by the younger generation? Meaning, I don't want to speak Navajo, therefore I'm not. What are those numbers attributed to? And do you detect, do you pick up some kind of rejection amongst young people who just say, no, I'm just not going to do it. I am not going to speak Navajo. I, I, I wouldn't say that there's a rejection out there. I think that there um, are quite a few um, young Navajos that actually wish that they could speak Navajo fluently and be able to communicate. You know, I, I, I propose that, you know, this goes back to, I'll say, maybe when my parents were in school and that was back in the 1935 when they were born and then were sent off to school and at that time sent off to school and not able to speak their language was probably when it started because my mother um, I could say you know went from kindergarten through high school without speaking the language um, and lost it and that has a bearing yes so I could say it probably would start from there down into the generation we have now. Right. I, I've also heard, and I, I don't com- completely understand the arguments around this, I've also heard the word colonialism tossed into this kind of language decline conversation. Colonialism meaning there's a class of people that had an impact on the native peoples of this area in a colonialistic sense. Can we connect colonialism and language decline, Rex, in any way? Should we even be mentioning colonialism and language decline in the same sentence? Yes, I believe we can. And you just did. What's important here is to acknowledge that, accept that, and move on instead of using it as an excuse not to learn the language. Using it as an excuse not for 
our people to pass on their language. I have no problem speaking to my children and my grandkids in Navajo at home. I don't use Columbus landing here in 1492 as an excuse not to do that. That would be a silly thing to do. And in some ways, it would be a lazy thing to do as well. What we need to do is focus on the wonderful aspects that language has. I have published in Navajo. My books are entirely written in Navajo. And we need to have more people invest in the language in that way, where we promote the language, where we speak the language. If we just focus on the negative stuff, it becomes too much and we stop speaking the language. It shouldn't be that way. We should be able to embrace and say, what a wonderful language. We have an opportunity to speak another language. We have an opportunity to promote a culture, a way of life through the language we speak instead of focusing on the negative stuff. I understand that it happened and has negative impact. Residential schooling and boarding schools, and we read about it, we hear about it. But in my case, I keep that out of my mind and focus on the positive stuff, all the wonderful things that people can do. Kevin, is there an association between language decline and colonialism? Um, yes, I believe so. You know, in today's society, um, most of our younger generation, you know, have all um, um, entered this Western society. Um, and in order to try and try to continue on to help, you know, I think that it's going to bring back education. I think edu our communities need to be educated as well as our school systems and um, to be able to enrich our children to know that speaking Navajo and English would be such a great benefit to them. Scholastically, or I'm sure there are things that are being done to implement the Navajo language as a requirement for kids in elementary school, maybe junior high school, and so forth. Kevin, within the Gallup School District, is and, and do we even want Navajo to be a selection for students who have to, say, take classes like Spanish classes, French classes? Do we want to put or have we put Navajo into that category and is there a push or is it already in place okay um, right now within the Gallup McKinley County School District we do offer um, Navajo language classes um, and it's called Navajo language and culture class um, from kindergarten through 12th grade um, starting as a kindergarten through fifth grade it is a requirement that they take the class and you said fifth grade. Yes, from kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, it's required that they do take the language class. This is anyone who wants to take it, I mean, Navajo or otherwise. Yeah, anybody. So, and then from sixth grade to twelfth grade, um, it is an elective. So it's a choice that um, um, the student will make for themselves whether they would, they would take it. I do know that, you know, we, at this present time, we are having... Um, we do have quite a few ch students. We have like 800, I would say about 800 um, elementary students taking the language class, uh, about 800 middle school, and about 1,200 high school, I would say. Okay. Then that helps close. I don't want to call it, I do not want to call it a generational gap, but at least it helps close and alleviate in this case, a language and cultural component that otherwise, you know, w would go the other way, would, would um, you know, be way worse than what it is. Rex, you are an administrator at Diné College. There are language classes taught there and there are culture classes taught there. Does, does that help foster 
I don't want to call them deficiencies, but any kind of gaps in culture that these are Navajo college students. There's Navajo culture classes and therefore language classes. Does it help fill what somebody is otherwise missing from home life and so forth? I'm certain it does. But what needs to happen at a place like the college is to offer courses entirely in Navajo, whether it's chemistry, biology, or whether it's economics, politics, or literature. The language of instruction must be in Navajo. That should be our highest ideal and what we should all be striving for. Developing language, new language, new concepts in Navajo. For example, the chemistry or physics. How do you teach that in Navajo? But how do you do it in a way where you speak out of Navajo epistemology as opposed to imposing Western approaches or ideas through these kinds of instructions? Yeah, I, I just wanted to interject. You just took it to a different level with the word epistemology. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, continue. The point here is how do we use the language in a way where it is advanced to the level of teaching these different concepts. Certainly, biology, microbiology, for example, could be taught in Spanish, Arabic, Chinese. So why not Navajo? Well, why not Navajo? Yes, why not Navajo? And the whole idea here is to develop a Navajo, a language program where you use the language, you exercise it, you make it work. That should be the goal of all of our schools here on Navajo. And yet, we don't. We talk about sovereignty. And one of the things I run to is, well, we can use Navajo in physics because we don't have a vocabulary to describe certain things. Well, that's what you create a commission for, to adopt new language to create new language and say that from here on this is what this means and so you add more and more I always tell, joke around and tell people if you take the dictionary the English dictionary take out the foreign language it will be about that thin every other word in, 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 in English in the dictionary it's a foreign language right adopted and adapted and so why, we can't, why can't we do that in Navajo as well so, so you are a proponent of teaching Navajo at the college level, freshman, sophomore, and throughout uh, college graduation, you are a proponent of that. Oh, absolutely. Because language is a means by which we advance knowledge and express who we are as a people. Kevin, are you a proponent also of teaching the Navajo language at the college level as well as high school and so forth? Um, yes, I am. I, I, you know, I, I feel that it is very important. Life on the reservation. One of you is from New Mexico. One is from Arizona. There's also a Utah component to the Navajo reservation. Does life on the reservation foster language learning or does it create a barrier? Does it help the growth of cultural development or has reservation life turned into a big survival mechanism that's not a put down that means that on this place we call the Navajo Nation there should be just as much language learning and cultural learning in everyday life as there is say in a formal sense and so forth Rex does the reservation foster language learning and cultural development, or is it just turned into a big day-to-day survival thing? Well, that depends on what you mean by survival. Like I said, I come from a family and a background, and my profession, everything I do is Navajo. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, who I am. Mm, that's not a stereotype on my part, meaning survival, I meant just trying to get by every day and so forth. Because there's a notion out there that the standard of living across the reservation is not, 
you know. Typically, I understand what you mean, mm-hmm. but the, the, the problem here is when we, when we talk about survival, we talk about standard of living. By whose standard? Who sets that standard? I live out in the country. I don't have running water, but I enjoy hauling water with my kids and grandkids. We have quality spend, spend quality time with one another. We laugh and chat and bring in water. So to me, that's quality time. It's a time we spend together and do things together. I'm certain there are some advantages of a, having running water. You didn't have running water. I don't have running water okay. right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I have hull water. And so, and then depending on how you define, no, it's COVID-19. And I hear a lot of young people talk about, oh, poor grandma, she's lonely out there. She's all by herself. I recently, um, um, my mom just passed over the holidays. But she felt right at home out there by herself. I understood that. We have other grandparents out there by themselves. And they're doing well. They have a relationship, a special relationship with the land where they live. They have the plants, the animals. Their sense of social relationship is much more than human beings. And so when our kids go out and say, oh, grandma's alone, that's going by Western standard. We have to have another human being in order to feel like, oh, I'm comfortable here. You don't need human beings. You need that special relationship to the land, to the poker, to the fireplace, to the animals and plants you live with. These are other beings, other forms of existence where these create special relationships. From that point of view, it's not a survival thing. It's a, people are thriving there. It's a very different point of view. Understand that Western cultures will have a hard time understanding this. And some of our young people who have been, to use your term, colonized to a certain degree, begins to think that way and speak out of that as well. And therefore, say, grandma is lonely and alone. Grandma's not lonely. She's doing well. So that's the kind of, you know, um, the very different points of view in how you live. Kevin, is there language learning on the reservation, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, or is it survival? When, I, when, I would mm-hmm. honestly say it's at this point in time and age, it's survival. You know, we have our our parents um, most of some are of course single parents and they have to work every day yeah, and by survival we, we mean they have to live by western standards mm-hmm. I mean there was a time I'm sure when the Navajo people were not living the way they're living now meaning they weren't you know one foot here and one foot there and I'm trying not to stereotype but there's a perception that, okay, yes, I am Navajo, but I also realize I live in a westernized world. So when you say survival, maybe they're trying to keep up mm-hmm. <laughs> with western standards or something. Do you think reservation life fosters language learning and cultural development, or is everyone just so fixated on making it day-to-day? I think that everyone is just fixated on making it day to day, and in order to, um, in order to live the way they need to live, at this point. And that's important because you got to live. I mean, yes. And it's—I mean, I'm sure when you were growing up, Navajo was spoken in your family, and and it was important that Navajo be spoken in your immediate and external family, right? Yes and no. (laughs) Actually, um, I grew up with um, my mother, my father, um, all my siblings, and Navajo wasn't spoken in our home. And it was hard. I mean, now when you 
as a child, you don't think about that. You don't think about, you know, learning the language and how important it is. But once you realize um, here on Navajo, you know, a lot of the jobs, you you have to speak the language. And But as a child, you don't realize that until... Um, one day you wake up and you think, shoot, you know, I, I've never learned a language. Right. Do, do you think that that contributes to losing a generation, to a lost generation? Meaning, are, are we now witnessing people right before our eyes who are Navajo but know absolutely, practically nothing about Navajo culture and so forth because of the survival westernized day-to-day kind of mechanism are we losing generations of Navajo people you think um yes I believe we are you know I believe that we are losing um that generation of the Navajo people um and it's it's a sad thing you know um and it's you know it's kind of and it and the worst part of it is it's so hard to put together to try and build any type of um program or any type of educational system that can bring this all back right meaning you can offer all the navajo language classes in the world and that's probably a good thing but you you can't turn back the clock you know exactly. what i mean Rex, cultural deprivation, cultural dispossession, and cultural displacement. Intellectually, do you see it on the reservation? I mean, I'm not saying you walk around every day just waiting for, you know, displacement and dispossession to pop out. Intellectually, do you decipher that oh yes deprivation displacement and dispossession definitely exist and from your answer what do you do what does what does anybody do well this is interesting how you answer your ask your questions you're directing answers that's what you're doing you expect me to say yes we're deprived yes we're starving and so on that's what you're leading to. You should be asking in a way where what needs to be done, what is being done. Mm-hmm. As I've told you earlier, I come from a very traditional background. I'm a medicine man. I'm out there and see the language. I see young people relearning. I see young people singing and chanting and talking. And so I see a lot of activity that's going on where the languages ceremonies and so forth are feeling like this language is thriving. And that there are actually people, younger people, who know this entire chance. And that gives me hope. And that's what we need to tap into, is those positive things. We have young people out there who are doing uh, music in Navajo, rapping in Navajo. We have people who are doing gospel music in Class- Navajo. Classical training and so forth. All kinds of stuff. It's not classical, it's avant-garde, if you will, and so on. And that's what we need to be focusing on and promoting that. And we need to do more of those kinds of activities. Right. We have, I've just met Laura Tohi, who, I mean, I've, I've known her for some time, but we were just in France promoting her, her artwork. There's Navajo in there. And then we have people who are doing song and dance and all kinds of stuff, telling stories in Navajo. And I see a lot of young people engage in all of that. And so I think it's a a mental um, framework. If you tap into these positive, wonderful stuff, that's what you see and that's what you go after. Kevin, do border towns like Gallup, Holbrook, Arizona, Winslow, Arizona, have a responsibility or role in promoting the speaking of the Navajo language and Navajo culture? Or should things like that happen 
primarily on the reservation. For example, I mean, I think we can say with certainty, the border towns, at least economically, in this case, the, the Navajo element is important to the survival of towns like Gallup and Holbrook and, and Winslow. Should those towns in turn have a role in promoting Navajoism to some degree? Meaning if, if your GDP or, you know, a good size of your economic economy comes from a certain group, should you in turn say, hey, maybe we should promote or better promote things Navajo? Gee, um, well, I think, you know, the, the border towns, you know, they, they, they profit so much off Navajo. Um, I would I would think that they would be interested enough to maybe invest monies back into the educational system to where Navajo language culture is taught, or even you know, as Mr. Um, Mr. Rexley had just said, you know, song and dance. You know, I know here in Gallup we have a trader, um, Shashias, who puts on you know song and dance and does promotes things with in the Navajo culture. Um, his store carries um, Navajo literature. Um, and, and, you know, and I think, you know, stuff, just even little things like that could contribute to um, showing that, you know, we are investing back into the Navajo people as much as they invest in the, these towns. Right. Rex, should reservation towns play a bigger role And, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think because we bring in so much money into these towns. And in fact, if it weren't for us, they wouldn't be surviving. And that's, so, very, that's very true. Mm -hmm. And so they need to invest back into Navajo. As it comes to language, they could be offering different programs and different clubs at schools in the area and just to promote the language. And I know some of the older traders, they do that. They speak the language. They talk to people in Navajo. And we just need to do, do more of that. When I was in, in town in Farmington, I went to one place. It's Spanish, Spanish speakers. They were speaking in... Spanish, and everybody was responding in Spanish, even the Anglos who were there, the Balaganas, they were practicing their Spanish because the workers, they're so fluent in Spanish, they were just, and even Navajos, they were learning Spanish, how to say things, and those workers, they spoke Spanish and almost demanding that when you come in here, you speak Spanish. The expectation is there. And so I decided to try that. And so everywhere I go to town, I, they're of Anglo or Spanish, I would say, Yat, eh, how are you? As in Navajo. Yeah, we should note that you are a fluent Spanish speaker. And, and so when we do that and say, Yat, eh, tishmanana, ya, and I was expecting a Navajo answer, people do respond. It was interesting because they said, oh, oh, yeah, they, they would say, they made it a bit mispronounced it, but still they were responding in Navajo. And eventually you'd start everybody, every Navajo speaker going out there speaking in Navajo whether they get a response in English, Spanish, or whatever, eventually we'll succeed in p expecting p others to speak to them in Navajo. And it's that kind of expectation that we need to set for our own children, for ourselves. And that's why I speak now for most of the time wherever I go. And eventually people do come out and start speaking to me now. And so I think if we come to town and speak to these traders and others in Navajo and expect an answer in Navajo, eventually we'll, they'll start speaking to us in Navajo. But I do agree that they need to invest back into the people they serve. What can be done to reverse the decline if we see it not increasing 
if we see people, and Kevin, you mentioned some numbers, what can we do to change those numbers? How can we make those numbers higher, get higher, and not lower? Kevin. It's going to go, it, ha, it, go, it needs to go back to educate, educating the people, educating the parents. Um, you know, at one point we were trying to offer Navajo classes to our younger mothers and fathers who did not speak Navajo. And what, what year is this? What year are we talking about? Um, this is probably about two years ago. We tried this with the Nagel McKinley County schools we would hold Navajo classes in the evenings at certain different schools to try to get the parents to engage with their students and talk Navajo at home so I think you know in order to bring up what we say is declining it needs it goes back to educating we need to educate the people starting on the starting it within the family and so yes forth. starting within the families there are a lot of things we could do to reverse this. One is we need to, even though I know it's in decline, but we need to study and find out exactly where we are, where we're at, and to you, have you, a language. You mean in, in terms of number, in terms of what we don't know? I mean, there's stuff, side stuff, not just not knowing how to pronounce a word, but you know, just start with things like, hey, I can't put this sentence together in Navajo. There are things like that. So when you talk about reverse the decline, you are referring to a big picture, right? Are you going to allow me to continue, or are you going to interrupt me? Thank you. So we need to find out exactly the status of the language, and then based on that, create a Navajo language policy that consists of several things. One, make the Navajo language an official language and through the Navajo Department of Education or other legislation make it a uh, a requirement whether the funding source is state, whether it's federal government, Navajo Nation, Make it Navajo. And then you also need to put money into it. The Navajo Nation Council needs to put money aside and say, this is for the study, this is for program development, not only in schools, but also in programs like uh, senior citizen centers and daycare centers, where it's entirely in Navajo and say, if you speak the language, hang out with the kids during lunchtime, do certain things, and then ask the parents, especially those who are receiving general assistance, whether it's in the form of food stamp or otherwise, and say to be make a part of to be a part of this to get this, you must commit to speaking so many hours of language to your students, to your children and do an overhaul programs like that. And then go in and hospitals and clinics and say, you all need to learn Navajo because we have grandpas and others who don't. But in the process, set up like a TV, television station that that's those shows on there, make it entirely in Navajo and explain how things work in the school settings we all need to commit to relearning the language. We need a Navajo Language Commission to, to accept and adopt new language, new words, vocabulary, and so on, and move on with it. We need to develop more and more courses in Navajo language programs. We need to take out of the classroom and put it in different school settings, not school setting, um, different entities, like the local chapter houses, if you needed a job there, you should be required to at least learn to speak Navajo language or speak to a certain degree. Just make a commitment, an overall commitment. And I truly believe that if we make a commitment, 
as a learner, as a teacher, we can reverse the whole situation in a year, two years, and start going back the other way. But right now, it's either because it's not part of the American system, it's useless to me, or I'm lazy, it's too hard, or we blame colonialism, we blame there are no teachers, right, and so on. But we need to turn all of that around and say, yeah, I speak Navajo, I'll speak Navajo. Right. A few years ago, probably about five years ago or so, there was a person who ran for president of the Navajo Nation who, and this is what I read and was told, I don't know for sure, apparently he did not speak decent enough Navajo for the Navajo populace. You remember that situation? Chris DeShaney, I think, or I'm mispronouncing the last name, but apparently his command of Navajo wasn't sufficient. Did that put light on this language thing that we're talking about, you think? I think it did. And it allowed people to talk about the importance of the language. And they tried to come at the same time, we also need leadership coming from young people who attended schools and highly qualified. And so there was a compromise. And that compromise is the Navajo people voted and said, let the voter decide whether he speaks. It's still required. It's not... Meaning proficiency in Navajo is still... It's, it's still required. Right. But it's but it stay in a way where let the voters decide whether he or she speaks fluent now, or fluently enough to be president of the Navajo Nation. And so that's where it's at right now. Kevin, you remember that instance and do you think that shed some light on the Navajo language situation? The president not having sufficient enough command of the Navajo language to be voted in the office. Um, yes, I do remember that, and I, I, I believe that you know it. To me, it really didn't shed a light. It just caused more of a conflict um, because after the fact, you know, we nobody did anything about trying to say, well, you know, this is what, um, like I said earlier, you know, the benefits of being able to speak Navajo and English in order to hold these better jobs within Navajo. I, um, I really feel that, you know, the Navajo Nation really needs to start investing money into our school systems. Right now, they invest zero. You mean on the reservation and off? Or? Well, as off as much as possible. I mean. Yes, because, you know, Bordertown, Gallup, you know, 90% 90, 90 of our students here in Gallup are Navajo. You know, so yeah. That's in, a lot. Yeah, so invest in these children and, you know, put some money towards um, the learning of the Navajo language and culture. Um, it To me, it didn't really spread any type of light because nobody took it. After it was done with, it was done with. And nobody went on about saying the importance of why this person should have been speaking Navajo. For the record, I've been in this area long enough where I'm going to tell you right now, I've started studying and learning Navajo. The next time I see both of you, hopefully we'll be able to, <laughs> I'll be able to hold the conversation in Navajo with both of you the next time I see you. Uh, it's not a difficult language, not as, as difficult as any other language. I mean, I remember learning Spanish and the conjugation of verbs, but for a long time, Navajo was not taught in schools. In fact, on simple things like a computer keyboard, there's a certain, there, there's certain letters in Navajo that some keyboards just don't have. So 
it requires, like any other thing, different uh, pronunciations and so forth. Um, but I'm energetic about learning the language. And like I said, the next time I see you, who knows? Closing arguments. Kevin, where do we go from here? We got to elevate young people more into the language learning process and so forth. Where do we go from here scholastically and otherwise? Where we go from here, I believe, is like I've been um, saying, is education, ed educating the people, educating the communities, um, starting with Navajo, you know, the chapter houses. Um, and I know that the Navajo Nation, they also have the um, Head Start. You know, that's where it needs to start is from at children that age and in order to see increase we need to continue to push that these children are able to learn the language go home and be able to speak it with their parents as well um, you mentioned you know the um, keyboards not having the right um, lettering lettering and stuff. and stuff so you know even text messages you know we get text messages and they just spell the word any way they want so that's what it's going to become again you know um it, it it's going to take um a lot of education from um everybody it's going to take everyone to come together and and make this work rex where to from here well, I'm going back to Tailing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the key, that, that keyboard to, aspect. Going to, I'm going back to work. Right. That, that keyboard aspect. And my work involves Navajo Sovereignty Institute. And part of that is language development. Is how do we approach language outside of the classroom is what we're looking at right now. One of the things we're looking at is the daycare centers there, is how do we teach young people? They're two to five years old in these daycare centers. And so we want to approach it from that point of view. And the other is how do we build senior citizen centers and those childcare centers together so that people can begin to speak the language and engage in cultural activities. Other ideas include maybe negotiating with HUD and do a language communities where we hire Navajos or give them free houses to live in these different home, um, what do you call those, housing clusters. And then those who decide to live there can sign a contract says once you pass the skate, you can only speak Navajo. Even if it means like doing this gestures and all kinds of stuff. If you really need to talk to them, you tap on the people's shoulder and go like this and go outside the gate, the gated community. So we're, we're looking at stuff like that. How would that work? We're looking at a place asking people in their workplaces and say, set a room aside, maybe a dining area or someplace, and say, speak Navajo only. And say, so you want to speak only Navajo or listen to other people speak Navajo, then you go to that room. And those are the kinds of different, we try to look at that. So that's what we're doing. And in terms of we're working with I think it was Apple, uh, was it Apple or Google? Anyway, one of them, they contacted us. They're working on keyboards in Navajo. We already have some in place. And then we have um, that um, company called Native Innovation. They have keyboards in Navajo for the phones, for the for the computers, and, and so we're working on that as well with these big companies. 
and we'll see what happens with that. We're asking different entities, or we will be asking different entities to see if they could make their businesses or whatever spoke entirely in Navajo and see what they can do, or a certain percentage of Navajo. And if need be to offer a Navajo language course, so we still need to develop these teachers who can offer these language courses once or twice a week, or maybe even twice a month at these different businesses and see where we go with that. And in some cases, we're asking big businesses who are doing work with Navajo to invest some of their fundings into programs like this. And so I truly believe that we need to be acting, proactive, and developing programs and implementing them. And that's what we need to do. And fortunately, a lot of people are coming through or the beginning to come through and say, how can we help? What can we do? So we need the policy changes to investing in it and everybody. But it all comes down to every single Navajo speaker, fluent, semi-fluent, to commit to passing on the language, whether the child likes it or not. I have a granddaughter and the doctor said she has speech problems. Maybe you should go take her to speech therapy. And we were like, what? What are you talking about? And I said, well, she doesn't know how she's mispronouncing stuff. I said, she's speaking Navajo. And it's like, because she's speaking Navajo, because the doctors don't speak it, or, or whoever the person was, thought that she had speech problems. We need to get away from that. We all need to say, oh, you're speaking Navajo, wonderful. Now you speak English and you could speak both languages at the same time. And so it comes back down to education. It comes back down to commitment. And we all need to do that. Well, thank you to both of you. Kevin Mitchell, Gallup McKinley County School Board, Rex Lee Jim. Vice President, Navajo Nation, formerly Diné College, Navajo Sovereignty Institute. This has been uplifting. KGOP, Bernie Dotson, this is Gallup News.